welcome to today's show. I've been listening to a few beverage industry podcasts from overseas and they always start talking about coffee and really I know very little about coffee and so did our guest until about 18 months ago I believe. Today's guest is Dario Shiliporti and in a short period like I said, 18 months, he's gone from a complete novice who hated coffee to to winning an award. That's correct, yes. Well, welcome, Dario. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your journey. What did you do before you discovered coffee? So my wife and I have a marketing business, okay. and um, we both studied business, been fascinated with business for a long time. Um, but my journey into coffee was actually from a home brewing point of view. Um, I'm sure brewing it's coffee or beer? Brewing coffee. Okay. Brewing coffee. Maybe beers in the future, but right now it's it's <laughs> all about coffee. And um, yeah, I've got a I've got a friend who has been a passionate coffee drinker for many years. And um, we were at a birthday party at his house, and he actually forced me to taste some Turkish coffee, which is quite a strong, viscous, um, pretty unpleasant version of coffee, um, especially to the novice coffee drinker. But I actually found the process of making the coffee more interesting than the taste of the coffee. And that sort of started my journey into brewing coffee at home and experimenting with um, espresso and aeropresses and all different brewing methods. Um, And that was a few years ago now. But the fascination with roasting coffee um, actually started in a similar way. We visited friends in, um, in Hilton and um, he's a Chris is a tennis professional, but he had roasted some coffee at home and handed me a bag. Um, I didn't even know what roasting coffee at home would look like, but I was very skeptical about this bag of coffee. Um, took it home, brewed it, and it was delicious. So I became fascinated with the idea of being able to take control of more of the process rather than just buying a bag of roasted coffee and taking it home, but actually finding some interesting green coffees, roasting them at home, and brewing them as well. And that's where the sort of fascination with coffee roasting started. So, Dario, to be honest, the only reason I invited you on this podcast is not to learn about coffee. <laughs> but really, Dario was a guest speaker at uh, my girls' school, and they were super excited. I said, I'm going to ask Dario to come on a podcast. And they were so excited because it's somebody that they could relate to, and it wasn't another beer guy. So I'm very excited to learn more about coffee, and oh, I, I was just joking about that. I, I was really impressed by your talk. Well, I'd be very happy not to speak about coffee. <laughs> I think beer would be uh, far more interesting for me to learn about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like a highly intimidating thing, speaking to the kids. I don't know what was worse, the kids, the parents, or the teachers, but it was it was intimidating. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad they enjoyed it. Yeah, they loved it. And uh, they they were only disappointed because they're at school and we're doing a podcast and they, they're not going to meet you. <laughs> Shame. Dario, the, the coffee business, it sounds, I mean, we we walk into a coffee shop every day and it's it's a perfect place for, for most people to get away from the office nowadays. Everybody works in coffee shops. That's but, right. But we don't know what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, so I my attraction to the industry has never actually been the coffee shop side of it. So okay. we don't own a, a cafe. I have very, very a lot of very disappointed customers around the country who uh, contact me when they're in Durban on holiday and they want to come and visit our cafe and we don't have one. We call it um, a pilgrimage. They want to do a pilgrimage. They want to do a pilgrimage, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
so you're right. People spend a huge amount of time in, in coffee shops. And um, I suppose, um, you know, understanding what, what happens before the coffee reaches the coffee shop is a huge part of uh, what we're trying to do as a, as a company is to tell that story. Mm. Because I, I knew practically nothing about the coffee supply chain before starting to roast coffee. And it's amazing how quickly you forget that you knew nothing before you started in the industry. So we often forget that our customers don't really know what's going on. Mm. So I constantly have to remind myself that people don't know what the C price means and they don't know what Q graders do and they don't know about the specialty coffee scale or the, the you know commercial coffee and specialty coffee. So we're trying to communicate those things. But essentially what I learned as soon as I started buying green coffee, which is basically a seed that comes out of a cherry grown on a tree um, in the coffee belt, which is basically coffee growing areas between the tropics, um, whether it be Africa, Central South America, um, in, in Asia. And these seeds come to us and we, we roast them. We put them into a coffee roaster. We apply heat to them. We control airflow and drum speed and all these technical aspects, um, which allow us to influence how that coffee will taste once it's been roasted. But what I learned very quickly is that the way that coffee is being traded is really unsustainable. In fact, in most countries where coffee is grown, the cost of production is higher than the, the price the farmers and producers are being paid for that coffee. Sounds like the winemakers in, in the Western Cape. Amazing. And it just blows my mind that these, um, you know, if you look at a, at a graph of the sea the price, which is the price that coffee is traded at, on the C market, the commodities market, if you look at it over the last 20 years, it's actually decreased in price in the last 20 years. And that's without taking inflation into account. So we have these situations where every day we're sitting in cafes, we're enjoying a cup of coffee, not knowing that there's a high likelihood that the farmer who grew the coffee that we now drink, if they did even get paid for their coffee, got paid less than what it cost them to produce it. Yeah. So, you know, as consumers, yes, our money gets to influence what happens around us. We have buying power. We can, we can influence change. But as a roaster, that's absolutely my role is to make sure that we're supporting a supply chain that's mm. sustainable. I mean, I find it interesting that coffee is the one thing where I don't check the price. Right. And I've, and I've consciously thought about it. Um, 23 rand for a cappuccino doesn't matter. But I'll never pay 23 rand for a Red Bull. Isn't that so me. true? Um, last week, Thursday, I was at Hillcrest Quick Spa and I bought lunch and it was 25 Rand for two pieces of chips and two pieces of fish and chips. And from there, I went to, I went to Oscars, which we are paid with, with a tip, I paid more than that for a cup of coffee. Sure. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is a conversation we've been having recently because one of the cafes that we supply and work very closely with, um, Salt Rock Coffee Company, um, they basically moved shops in the same center. They doubled their floor space. And in the rush of setting up, they hadn't, and I don't think they still to this day now, a few weeks after opening, have actually got a price list up anywhere. And um, they tell me that no one even asks what the cost of the coffee is. They just pay for their coffee. You take everything else except the coffee. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. So, you know, we've done the maths on it and one rand, if one rand extra per cup of coffee made its way back to the, the farmers. In other words, if that one rand extra entered the supply chain instead mm. of just margin in the cafe, we would basically change the coffee industry, mm. um, which is quite incredible. 
Yeah, I think I think it's the same with a lot of things. My brother owns some farms on on the Orange River near a village called Groot Drink, which is very interesting. And most of the farmers grow grapes, and they obviously the orange wine isn't very sought after, and it's probably the commodity commodity wine. And again, it's the same thing. If they could get one rand more per litre, they'd be multimillionaires. But, Amazing. But uh, and what would one rand on a bottle mean to me? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting that you're pursuing that, and and is it possible to do that? So, at the end of the day, the the coffee supply chain is very complicated, and I don't profess to know much never mind everything Um, but the more I learn the more complicated I realize it is so the best thing that I can do as a roaster is I can work either try and work directly with producers which at our current volumes we can choose maybe you know two or three origins a year where we can import directly Um, but then we have to find importers who are willing to share the numbers with us so the sort of um, globally accepted number in the coffee industry right now is the FOB price that we're paying for our coffee. So that's the free on board price that the coffee costs at origin, um, which is not a very good indicator really of what the farms are being paid because there could be a lot of um, costs tied up with transportation, storage, processing, etc. at origin. But we know that if we're paying a certain FOB price, as long as if all things are equal in that origin, it means that more money's reaching the farmers and the, the producers then through the sea market. So it's just about asking the hard questions. There are importers in South Africa right now. First of all, we only buy specialty grade coffee, which is higher quality, and that higher quality demands a higher price. Mm. So essentially, the more we can pay the farmers, the more they can invest in um, in processing um, methods or processing equipment, and the better, better the quality they can produce next year. Um, so it's a bit of a positive cycle if we can get into that cycle. But what we're doing is we're just making sure that the people we're working with are willing to be transparent, they're willing to to share with us that they are doing the right thing at origin, even if we aren't the ones importing it directly. I call it line of sight trade. Mm. Yeah. So it's interesting that there are even people where you can do or who you can do that with. Absolutely. I mean, one would think that the whole industry is pretty much controlled by by the big players. And that's very much the truth. Um, the, the big players are controlling the vast majority of coffee trade. Mm. Um, to work with people who are doing things differently, it is expensive. Um, to give you an example, if I get a, an offer list from a South African-based importer of, of commodity coffee right now, um, I could easily pay 45 rand a kilo for green coffee that I could roast and serve at any cafe around South Africa, and it would be widely accepted. In fact, that's probably around the average sort of price of the coffees that we are drinking in cafes, whereas the cheapest coffee we're buying at the moment is around uh, somewhere between 90 and 100 rand a kilo, so it's more than double the price, Mm. um, which is good to buy a higher quality product at a higher price, but then it's, it's the tricky thing, and this is what I struggled with for a long time, is understanding whether that extra 45 rand is actually making it back to the people who need it or if it's just fattening up the middlemen. Mm. Um, and that's why we're trying to trade direct now. Mm. So uh, after my university days, I spent uh, a year or so in, in Germany, and it seems like that was where a lot of the coffee trade was happening through Hamburg and Bremen. Um, I think 
Is, is that correct or don't you know that part of, of the coffee trade? I'm not too certain about Germany. I know there are huge roasteries in, in Germany. Um, we work with uh, two European-based um, green traders. One is based in the UK um, and they actually are our Guatemala coffee uh, partners. So they're based in Guatemala and in the UK. Um, but our co- coffee is coming from the UK at the moment. And then uh, Nordic Approach is based in, um, where are they now? Their warehouse is in Belgium at the moment. Um, so we're working with them as well. Mm. There must be, I mean, if I just look at the drinks industry, there must be a whole, a whole movement towards this specialized coffee, just like there is towards craft spirits and craft beer, I guess. Absolutely. I think people are more interested in flavor experiences today. So walking into a cafe to meet with a friend and have a conversation over a cup of coffee, um, I think people are quite forgiving of the quality of that coffee. Mm. Um, It's more about the conversation and the community. But if you look to specialty cafes popping up around the country, um, I think in Cape Town, um, there's some amazing examples like Rosetta and Espresso Lab and um, and Father in, in Johannesburg who are setting the standard really for the taste experience in the coffee industry. Um, so it's definitely a growing part of the industry. Um, the, the biggest sort of, uh, not challenge because people are willing to pay for quality, but it's, it's a challenge to connect with those people because our coffees inherently are more expensive, but the taste experience is is incredible i mean you can we've got coffees at the moment tasting from you know grapefruits to caramelized peaches to um juicy limes um where people wouldn't necessarily expect to taste that in in coffee Mm. which is pretty exciting (laughs) it does sound um you mentioned cape town and obviously Joburg. And that would have been my first response. What are you doing in Durban? <laughs> Surfing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you said earlier that this wasn't meant to be a business. Yeah. What happened? So I mentioned my tennis player friend yeah. who roasted some coffee. So I, uh, it's a long story, but I ended up buying a little one kilo, essentially a home coffee roaster yeah. um, called an Alio Bullet. And it's like a very advanced little home roaster. You plug it into your computer. Very geeky. It, it oh. satisfied the the science and math sort of side of my brain. And um, the idea was to set this up on the veranda, sits on a table, and uh, to roast a small amount of coffee over beers with some mates and to share that coffee and maybe some people would buy it for their um, offices and that type of thing. And essentially one thing led to the other. And um, I think the turning point for me was was sort of two-pronged. Um, two it was firstly um, I could spend the same amount of time roasting but on a bigger machine and produce enough coffee to actually have a business. Mm. So that was the business part of my brain going off and then my wife and I did a little trip to Europe last year and I was talking to a few roasters in Europe and they were talking about um, exactly what we were discussing earlier the state of the the supply chain Mm. and I just realized that the only way I get to have any sort of influence is to be big enough to have an influence and that's where we are at the moment is that it's become almost a social enterprise where Mm. the larger we can become the more coffee we can buy the right way Mm. um, if that makes sense. Okay. So that's that's sort of the the driving force. And you say in in January you sold about seventy kgs of coffee. That's right. Is it is that I mean is that significant or is that? That's tiny. Is it tiny? That's home roaster volume. Okay. 
<laughs> so we did yeah 70 kilos in January. Um, basically, our 10 kilo drum roaster arrived mid December, um, and yeah, in January we hadn't picked up any new customers. And yeah, last month we did uh, about 800, somewhere between eight and 900 kilos, um, which is still a very small roastery. I mean, we we very much a micro roastery, but from 70 to eight or 900 in a few months is is pretty good growth. And the best part of that is that everything that we're buying is specialty grade. Everything that we're buying is high quality coffee. Um, whereas a lot of roasteries in South Africa will have a large commodity coffee base and then they'll offer a few specialty coffees to their discerning customers. Okay. But we just drew a line in the sand and said, it's not necessarily just about flavor for us. It's about supporting the right supply chain. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the growth has been, has been good. Um, we'd like to you know, keep that going for a while. Yeah. So, how much of that that eight or nine hundred kgs is going into coffee shops, and how much is is going direct, or what is the what is the business model? Yeah. So, when I started, I would have said to you that I would love to build a business working only with home baristas mm. because that's my passion, and I th- I believe that the best baristas in the world are are home baristas because. Okay. Can I? Put up Please. my hand and say, what is a barista? So a barista is somebody who makes coffee. Mm. So my, the, you know, the term could be used very I was very expecting easily. a little bit more than that. Yeah, I know you would, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think, so I've got this little theory that um, we, we hold um, little home, home barista or home brewing classes from time to time. And I mean, we can get as technical as talking about you know, the TDS, total dissolved solids in the coffee brew and extraction percentages and all kinds of stuff, which very few people can measure because you need some specialized equipment to measure that. And I always say to people who are interested in learning more about brewing coffee, like stretch your knowledge as far as you can, but then come back to a point where you're comfortable. You don't have yeah. to do, you don't have to brew your coffee like that every day. Um, but for me, part of the fun is just stretching our understanding. Um, we have all those sort of tools um, at our disposal now on the roastery, but I still don't brew my coffee using TDS every day. Where I know some people do. Um, there's some coffee fanatics in Europe and in the US who have blogs and they're posting about their extraction percentages on a daily basis. That would drive me absolutely nuts. Sometimes I just want a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in the beginning, I would have said to you that I'd love to build a business just working with home baristas, but the wholesale side of our business is actually where we're doing the most volume and that wholesale business allows us access to the coffees that we want to buy just by giving us the ability to buy a higher volume, mm. essentially. So I would say that um, probably probably 80% of our turnover at the moment is going into cafes or into restaurants um, or into corporate settings. Um, there's a car dealership in, in Durban. We supply the coffee to all of their service centers, about 11 service centers, I think, around Durban, um, which is amazing. I mean, I'll, I'll say it's Hyundai. And, um, that is amazing. That is amazing. So you walk into a Hyundai dealership, you have your car serviced, and you can drink a cup of, special, a cup of specialty coffee from their bean-to-cup machines. Yeah. And whether you, you taste that it's specialty coffee or not, in other words, if the bean-to-cup machine is delivering on the taste potential or not is a different story but the reality is is that they're paying enough for their coffee that it's supporting the right supply chain and they're not even necessarily talking about it they're just making a good decision along the way and is there a way to help them talk about it it's a good question it's a very good question it's something that we are um, talking about a lot is about um, telling the stories of our wholesalers a lot better so on our website there's a, a section 
under development now of where you can drink our coffee and interactive maps to get you there. Um, and then on, on our social media, we definitely prioritize um, talking about our wholesale partners because yeah. um, I think it's important for so I think what I get a lot of joy from is the fact that people drink our coffee every day in cafes and they have no idea that they're supporting the supply chain that they are yeah. but it's just we shouldn't have to tell people that it's the right thing to pay farmers more than a, what it costs them to make to farm you know we, we shouldn't that shouldn't in society today that shouldn't be a topic of conversation it should be assumed that we're supporting a sustainable supply chain. Yeah. And it just happens that in coffee, it's not the case. But I don't really want to build a business, um, you know, what is the right saying? It's like, like the bullhorn business. I don't think we have to stand on a street corner telling everybody that we're actually paying enough to have a sustainable supply chain. We should mm. just be doing it anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're opening up a whole new world for me um, or to me because... For me, special or speciality coffee would be the guy at North Beach or at uh, Oshaka, next to Oshaka, with his little VW caddy at four o'clock in the morning, and there's a freshly served cup of coffee. I mean, for me, that is special. No, Absolutely. Help me understand what is what makes it more special. No, that, that's a very <laughs> good. That's a very good question. So there's this term, uh, third wave coffee. Yeah. And then there's a term specialty coffee. And then you can also hear gourmet coffee being spoken about. So, um, My brain is just full of craft. And craft, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm so happy to hear some other terms. <laughs> there we go. I think maybe we need to introduce craft coffee as well. <laughs> so th there are, so gourmet is a marketing term essentially. So it's, it's, a, it's a term to say that you know, we've done something to the coffee that makes it interesting for a consumer to buy. Um, it's not a technical term and it's not something that we use. Um, gourmet might be the local roastery that we have um, who adds flavors to their coffee. So they'll roast a f sort of bland coffee and then add hot cross bun syrup you know, to mm. the beans, um, which is not something that we would ever do. Um, but that would be like gourmet. Then you would have your specialty coffee. So specialty coffee, well, coffee is graded on a 100-point scale by professionals called Q-graders. And if the coffee scores over 80 points and it's free of defects um, or below a certain number of defects, it would be graded as specialty. So whether that specialty coffee then is roasted well, packaged well, and served well is a different story altogether. Um, but that's the technical term for specialty coffee. And then third wave coffee is more of a holistic view around the storytelling side mm. of coffee. So walking into a cafe... I mean, in Durban, we've got the, a great example of on the Upper Highway area of Lineage um, Cafe in, in Hillcrest. And Lineage does a great job where they will interact with their customers. They'll tell them about the coffee they're serving and they'll serve um, a very well-made cup of coffee, which would be more of a third wave experience rather than sitting down at a cafe and ordering a cappuccino. So it's more about connecting the consumer directly to the, to the coffee. Okay. Whether, whether or not specialty coffee is being served um, is a different story. So third wave and specialty can almost stand independent of one mm. another. Well, very interesting. So the guy on the beachfront is, it's special because the sun's rising. Yeah. That's why it's really and special. It's there and it's not Rick coffee. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been, it, I mean, if I just think of the whole coffee movement in South Africa and it might not be specialty coffee, but certainly the the quality of coffee has improved in the availability absolutely 
Absolutely. I mean, you can walk into most retailers today and you can buy a bag of beans, which is relatively new. It's not something that was uh, readily available a few, just a handful of years ago. Yeah. And you can drive into almost any town and find a cafe doing a decent job with their coffee. So there has definitely been a, a rise in the coffee experience. And one of my friends in Johannesburg, who's a roaster, and he's actually very involved at Origin as well. He worked in Burundi for a number of years. Um, his name is Ben, and he speaks about... So someone said to him the other day, why are cafes so addictive? And he said, well, it's obvious. The cafe is the new pub. Mm. And I think that's very true. I think a lot of people are finding right. community in cafes. Yes. Um, and it's more acceptable to do before Definitely. 10 o'clock as well. Yeah. Um, when, when I was... a uh, Bachelor, we had a digs in Umschlange, one of those high-rise flats, and we we thought we were quite trendy, and we used to buy and grind grind our own coffee. We thought we were very cool. We went to Gal Street. What was it? Yes, Colombo. Colombo, and bought our coffee there, and bought this grinder, and then made our filter coffee. Um, is that is that something that you have to do yourself? Grind coffee? Or yes. Am I so really talking no, basics no, no. now? No, I, I love this. This is fantastic. So when I was learning coffee, I found it very hard to get good information. And in mm. fact, the internet became my biggest resource. Walking into a cafe and asking these sorts of questions, it felt very exclusive. And I think mm. that was the first thing we wanted to do was to build a company that was very inclusive. Mm. So if you're listening to this and you want to know the difference between instant coffee and filter coffee, hey, DM us on Instagram. <laughs> it's fine. We can, we can chat. But I think... Um, you know, buying a grinder and seeking out good beans and grinding them to make your own coffee a few years ago would have been quite unusual. But today, I mean, at Hillcrest Quick Spa, we've got grinders for sale, little hand grinders next to our coffee. Um, uh, ours was electric. Is ours it, was electric. You're, so you're a step ahead. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I think a lot of people um, come into, well, they, start, they want to make good coffee at home. And the first thing they think they need to do is to go and buy like a Breville um, espresso machine. And it, I always tell people, unless you've got, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand rand to spend on an espresso setup, rather get excited about filter coffee, mm. because for just a few thousand rand you can set up an amazing filter coffee setup at home, and rather use good quality coffee. Um, I drink filter coffee all day. That's that's my go-to. Um, so yes, grinding fresh is absolutely the key um we do sell ground coffee so if you if you walk into a place selling our coffee you can normally get a bag of ground coffee because we want to again you know be accessible and inclusive so we don't exclude people if they don't have the equipment um but grinding fresh makes a huge huge difference mm -hmm. yeah but so roasting how, from roasting how long you know, how quickly should you be drinking that coffee? Or should you, do you sell it in beans? Or you yeah. said you do sell ground coffee, but if I want to be fancy now? Sure. No, that's a good question. So um, basically the process is a roast. So we put green coffee into a roast and it takes between 10 and 12 minutes to roast a batch mm -hmm. of coffee. And then time to consumption for filter coffee, even two or three days after roasting it, you can brew a really nice coffee. But there is a misconception around freshness. So people often think that the fresher the coffee, the better. Not necessarily the case. The coffee is, is off-gassing um, over a period of time. So it, uh, you know, it goes under immense number of um, 
chemical reactions during the roasting process. And then after that, a lot of gas is released and that gas actually inhibits the brewing process. So the best time to drink your coffee is generally after seven days or seven days after roasting it. Um, up to a couple of months. I mean, I opened a bag of coffee in the roastery the other day, which had kind of been sitting for a few months now. I think it was about four months and the coffee was tasting fantastic. It tasted, there was no sign of, of aging yet. Um, so I think you've got, you know, we, we say on our bags, uh, best within two weeks, um, but good for, for six months. Mm. Yeah. Which again brings it to this whole, it's like beer. People should beer all over the world and they want to drink Budweiser, they want to drink Stella Artois, and meanwhile, it's all about drinking local. Even Cape Town beer. I mean, we shouldn't be drinking Cape Town beer in Durban. Sure. We should be drinking local beer. I agree. I think I think that, you know, supporting local business is so important in general. And, um, you know, especially in industries where we consume on a regular basis, it's not about buying a table once or buying you know, a car once, we, we're consuming on a daily basis. And that means that our money goes a long way to supporting the businesses that we choose mm. to support. So supporting locals is huge. Um, and I'm allowed to say that because the Cape Tonians do that. They don't drink they anything, don't drink anything else. Well, we, we, <laughs> our web store is pretty busy. And uh, I don't know if I should tell this, but like a lot of Cape Tonians buy okay. our, <laughs> buy well, our I'm coffee. I'm glad. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't, certainly don't buy a lot of... Uh, Durban uh, gin or Durban craft beers. Sure, sure. Well, I heard the other day that there are 216 coffee roasters in Cape Town. Really? So there's a bit of competition. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think supporting locals is great. I think if you're a consumer and you are favoring, you know, the in- imported Italian brands like Illy and Saro mm. and Lovazza, Dowie Burtz and so on, I'd, I'd really encourage you to look beyond them. Um, often people assume that they're good because they're big, but that's very much not the case. I mean, the best beers I've had this year have not been from the big brand names. They've been the little guys putting a lot of effort in. And I think that's the difference is that the big guys have mastered consistency where the smaller guys are mastering um, flavor experiences and they're, they're really, really focused on that. Mm. Um, we're actually working with a, a beer company at the moment in Botswana um, called Big Sipco. And um, I had a chance meeting with the owners um, Jan and Angelique a few months ago and when they heard that I roast specialty coffee they got really excited because they had just been in Cape Town at a big craft beer get together and I think a few of the guys in Cape Town had been playing with some craft beer and um, and specialty coffee combinations so they immediately asked if we can collab mm. and uh, sent some beer down and I must be honest with you like Tasting coffee and beer together and doing a lot of testing um, gives you a new kind of buzz. The caffeine and alcohol, I don't know what it does <laughs> to your brain, but it's, it's been interesting. So I'm, I'm fascinated with the industry. I'm really excited about this collaboration that's going to be mm. coming and hopefully we'll get some to South Africa as well. Um, Does that mean you get to travel to Botswana on a regular basis? I'm waiting for my invitation. Yeah, I'd love yeah. to. But um, I was up there, uh, for, for not for this reason specifically, but had, had, had a chance meeting at a little... Um, it was actually a little market in town. and um, So this wasn't planned? You just met Angelique there? They were serving beer. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So a friend of mine in Botswana knows Jan's parents, um, so they wanted us to meet. But I know it Angelique's parents. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, they, they're amazing. So Jan is like a, a beer... Boffin. I think he's been brewing at home for a long time before starting Big Sip. And then Angelique is a real driver. I can see her 
really taking that business to to big levels. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to work with them. Mm. So the other famous coffee uh, beer collab is obviously Mur Coffee. Sure. Which is, I mean, I love the whole packaging more more than the beer because I'm not a big big coffee beer fan or. And then I think Nottingham Road has done a collab with the local roastery. Fantastic, yeah. Mm. I must be honest, when I was playing with some coffee and beer combinations, the the flavors that I wanted to play with were the brighter, lighter beers mm. um, with some bright coffees. Because I think when people think of coffee, they think of a darker beer. So a mm. stout would make Stout's sense. Yes. Um, and much to my dismay, the best combinations I've come up with are a stout with a really dark chocolate coffee. Yeah. So there's a reason why some combinations just work. Yeah. Um, I found that the lighter beers had this beautiful, bright acidity um, and crazy sweetness. And then as soon as I added a bright, acidic coffee, it almost killed all the good from the beer and all the good from the coffee. And it just became a very flat, flavorful, but flat drink. Yeah. Um, whereas the start and the I've got a Guatemala that's um, just tasting of like dark chocolate and purple fruits like plums and berries and the two worked really well together it was a special start it wasn't their standard start they'd been playing with some different ingredients they'd imported from Norway so I'm excited have you have you been to O three one distillery I have and they they do a gin with the with a coffee what do you call it the cherry I think it's award winning as well mm. if I'm not mistaken yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, and spirits. I mean, there's a lot of coffee liqueurs and a lot of heritage with with coffee and alcohol. I guess absolutely. I, I this is my first sort of um, journey into this world, um, and I'm very open to doing more. Mm. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, and I'm sure there's lots, a lot of distillers and and brewers that that are open to these sort of things. Um, I feel a little bit out of my depth with this this whole coffee thing. Normally, when we talk about booze, it's so easy, but you you know it's 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 a whole new world for me. I can only imagine. I'm used <laughs> to drinking booze, but I'd be quite nervous to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So your 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 first step into retail has been at uh, Hillcrest Quick Spa. That's correct. How has that gone? So, I mean, Mark and Lee are incredible. They they really are incredible. I mean, when our little baby girl was born what, four and a half months ago now, we had this incredible bouquet of flowers arrive and we assumed it must have been from family somewhere and it was Mark Lee and the Quick Spa team congratulating us on our, on our <laughs> new arrival. So they, they're a special couple and um, they've given us uh, like a standalone shelf in the coffee section, which makes sense. It wasn't there at first. It makes more sense where it is now. And yeah, we sell, we sell coffee every week. You know, we're ticking over with some nice coffee sales. I think we've, through their store, we've introduced a number of the Upper Highway um, coffee drinkers to our brand, which has been great. And we're super grateful for, for having us um, in their shop. And retail is something I'm really excited about. And the only reason I'm excited about it is because it's, a great um, vehicle for getting our coffee into people's homes. Mm. And online in South Africa is growing for sure. And our website is getting busier every week. Um, but there's something important, I believe, in having physical retail shelf space. And it's an area of our business that we definitely want to focus on going forward. Yeah. And uh, I'd be happy to assist you if I can. Thank you. Um so the interesting thing normally is that all these suppliers that I talk to, the Hillcrest 
tops or Hillcrest Quick Spas off often the link, and this time it wasn't. Amazing. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah, it could have been. I said to Mike a couple of years ago, we should have a coffee shop inside the tops. I agree. And uh, <laughs> you might be the right partner to or do might that. Might just be. Um, or at least do do some, you know, they do those brewing classes for beer yes. inside the tops. Maybe we should do a coffee uh, class. I would love Whether to do it's that. In the, I mean, it doesn't have to be in, in the tops, but it could certainly be in the quick spa if they can find a spot. That thing is so, the quick spa is so cluttered and so, not in a negative way, but it's so so full. Absolutely. That, that there's probably not a space to do uh, coffee brewing classes. Maybe we'll do a parking lots coffee brewing session. <laughs> but I think uh, the, the tops could be great because often after these coffee tastings and coffee brewing little get-togethers, we drink so much coffee that a beer could actually be fantastic straight afterwards. Especially so. if it's a Moor coffee or yeah, one, of, one of its cousins. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Dario, thanks for joining me today. It's It's been really fascinating and interesting. And, and I'd like to... Uh, ask you if I can visit the roastery and maybe make a little video and just say what I see there or is it is it not videoable? No, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. We're actually uh, quickly running out of space and looking for new spaces as well. So the plan for the future is to have um, the roastery in a building which is um, open to the public, which it isn't at the moment. Okay. And um, we're taking a lot of inspiration from the craft beer industry. And instead of wanting to do a traditional cafe, we actually want to do a taproom style tasting environment. So does um, it mean there will be beer? Why not? I'm sure we need a license for that, don't we? You do? Yeah, maybe we'll do an exchange so, program. So if, if, you say, <laughs> if you say taproom, it means... Tapping beer off a, off a keg? Yeah. Or is that not what you mean? That's not what I mean. So right. the, the idea is a, a taproom-inspired um, coffee bar. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would, I mean, if there's a, a craft brewery out there who would love to work with us, then uh, let's put a taproom into our roastery. I'd be thrilled to or, do that. Or put your roastery into a taproom. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> DM me on, on Instagram, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of lot of nice taprooms with nice spaces. Um, and so tell us quickly where our listeners can find you sure so we've got a, a growing wholesale base um, firstly on our website which is bluebirdcoffeeroastry.ca.ca um, we work with some great couriers <laughs> they'll get their, their coffee to you quickly and then if you want to drink our coffee in cafes um, around Durban some of our exclusive partners would be the Barn Isle on Florida Road um, and uh, sorry, Bench Coffee Company out in Belito, um, Saltra Coffee Company, Ray's Kitchen, Macaranga in Kloof, um, and I'm going to leave out some good guys, but uh, the Good Source in, in Hillcrest is serving our coffee, and then uh, we work with the, the Lighthouse Guest Suites up in um, Limpopo, and Mopani Pharmacies in Nalsprate. Um So there, there are a number of places. I'm sure I'm going to leave some people out, and I'm sorry if I have. You're welcome um, to send me a list. Yeah. What I find strange is that out of all these, I've only heard of Macaranga. I, sit, I think I hang out at the wrong place. I think so. <laughs> Tell me about Salt Rock because that yeah. sound, sounds interesting. What is that? And where so is it? They are on the coastal road coming through Salt Rock, so the last road you know, closest to the beach. I forget the name of the center that they're in. It's an older center in Salt Rock. Um, they're definitely on Google Maps, though. So it's mm. Saltra Coffee Company. It's owned by Carl and Stacey. Um, 
they had a yeah, dream to open a coffee shop and they actually just went ahead with it and they went from a, a mobile coffee setup to a small cafe to a now much larger cafe in a five-month period. So if um, I take this whole drop off ramp, these yes. Tiffany's on my left, do so I just head towards the beach? So you come down the hill mm-hmm. uh, between the two entrances for that estate, I forget what mm-hmm. it's called now, um, and you head literally straight down the hill over the speed bumps, you come right down to the bottom and you turn, it would just veer right, mm. and, and the shopping center's on the left. So there's Ziggy's German restaurant, is it? It might be next door. So beneath the Salt Rock Hotel? It's all sounding familiar, but I don't want to commit. I don't <laughs> okay. want to commit. <laughs> it's called the Salt Rock Coffee, Salt Rock Coffee Company. Company. And they've got like three of our coffees on bar at the moment. They've probably got the widest variety on bar, and they've got some well-trained baristas. So and uh, how's the reception? I mean, I wouldn't have expected to find something like that in, in Salt Rock. It's been amazing, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of people who've moved out onto the north coast are – very lifestyle orientated. Yeah. So they've got this like loyal customer base. Um, and yeah, even on their days when they're supposed to be closed, people arrive and ask them to turn the machine on and make them some coffees. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've definitely got a very loyal customer base. I believe that in the shop fitting of their new shop, they actually had customers who gave them free materials and offered their staff from their construction companies to come through and help with tiling. So it's definitely the best example I've ever seen or heard of, of a community based business. Um, which is amazing. It's been great to see the support. Mm. And the, the awesome thing is that, yes, Carl and Stacey are doing an amazing job for sure, but there are so many great stories like theirs around. Um, another reason why it's so awesome to be involved with local business and support local because, I mean, I know there's that that little post that goes around social media every Christmas, you know, that the this, this, the big businesses don't do a happy dance every time a sale happens. Yeah. And it's so true. The small business <laughs> owners are really so grateful for every sale and for every customer. Um, so we, yeah, we're thrilled to work with small local businesses. Can you still remember your, who was your first customer? Do you know, it's actually so funny. So my first customer outside of friends and family, who didn't really have a choice, um, was a young man by the name of Miguel. And he contacted me on Facebook. I just started my Facebook page. And um, he lives in Kloof. Um, and he and I did like a little drug deal in the parking lots of the Shell Garage near <laughs> Thomas More College. Um, some coffee for some money. And the irony of the whole thing is that he's been one of the biggest influences in our local home barista business, especially in the beginning. I know Seth Godin says that um, it's important to find people who catch your ideas but it's even more important to find sneezers who go and sneeze the virus all over every, everybody else. And Miguel's been one of those people. And he's just about to finish his finance degree. He's already um, working for us part-time. Um, he's actually selling coffee for us. Wow. And uh, the plan is hopefully for him to come on board full-time next year, wow. which will be amazing. And he was literally the first non-friends and family customer. Yeah, that is amazing. And, and from the trade, um, he was the first to say yes. The first to say yes was a small cafe in Morningside called Caffeine Corner, who have unfortunately closed down now. And it wasn't Utah Coffee, just for the record. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, I can't remember who was the next after that. Well, that doesn't count. Oh, it doesn't count, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is exciting. And uh, Dario, it was really nice to have you. And I look forward to visiting visiting you at the Rose Tree. And maybe uh, you can teach me 
I visually something that that uh, you explained to me today. Awesome. And thanks for teaching us a little bit about coffee. It's my pleasure. A little bit behind the scenes so people can be aware of, of what they buy and you know we sometimes we are willing to spend a little bit more for doing some something good along the way. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for those lessons. Cool. It's my pleasure. Cheers, Dave. Ciao. This podcast was brought to you by DrinksBiz, a network for business owners and professionals in the beverage industry.